And if you haven't already, I encourage you to pull up 1 Corinthians 13 on your phone or open your Bible. We're, we're primarily looking at the chapter, of first, uh, chapter 13 today, although we'll pick up the last little part of chapter 12 as well, where, where this amazing poem or rhapsody or whatever you want to call it about love begins. I was talking to two friends a few months back, and uh, one was struggling to parent and homeschool her four kids. She has a baby. She's sleep-deprived. And she was saying how she was finding herself cranky and she was snapping at her kids and catching herself feeling like her kids were an imposition and a barrier to her getting done what she needed to get done each day. Meanwhile, my other friend um, is a pastor's wife and she and her husband had just moved to another state for him to pastor a, a new church. And she's trying to find her place there and she's an accomplished leader in her own right. And she was saying, you know, in a way, it's nice not to be leading a ministry right now because it gives me space just to get to know people and to relate to them and to come alongside of them and encourage them to relate to God and to love them. And I said to both of them, love is the job. And they both looked at me a little startled and I was too. It's so simple and so profound, and it just kind of slipped out of my mouth in that moment. But it's what God was teaching me at the time. Love is the job. If you're a parent trying to keep your house running and to get your kids to school or to their activities in clean clothes and fed, etc., or if you're a student going to school, navigating relationships, trying to do your homework, trying to get along with your parents and your teachers, or if you're at work dealing with coworkers, or if you're in this church trying to help CBC function and grow, ultimately, love is our job. Not those other things. Love. That's what today's passage is about. We've come to the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, and on this Sunday we traditionally focus on love, as the candle did this morning. So how appropriate that today's scripture text, as we're working through 1 Corinthians, that we're up to chapter 13, which is all about love. Advent is a time where we look to the future, and we look with longing and expectation. And of course, the most obvious thing we look forward to is Christmas, right? Is anyone looking forward to Christmas? <laughs> Kids, how many days till Christmas? Seven. One week. Next Sunday. <laughs> you knew that. You just didn't want to say it. And so during Advent, we look forward to, to the coming of baby Jesus, born into a manger, born, placed in a manger, where we see wondrously displayed God's love for us. But at, at Advent, we also look forward to another coming of Jesus, to a, a future coming, the second coming. When Jesus comes as a king, comes to save, comes to rule the world, to 
right all wrongs, to make everything better, what a day that will be. And this morning we remember, and today's scripture reminds us, that will be a day when love wins over all. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love will last forever. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. When Jesus returns, we won't need faith anymore. Because we will see him face to face. We will have the things we're putting our faith in and trusting God for now. And when Jesus returns, we won't need hope anymore because we'll have the things we hope for now. But love will never go away. When Jesus returns, love will be everything. I love how N.T. Wright puts it in his book, Surprised by Hope. He writes, this poem, 1 Corinthians 13 both in tone and content, is the still, quietly beating heart that makes sense of everything else. The point of 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is not our duty, it is our destiny. It is the language Jesus spoke, and we are called to speak it so that we can converse with him. Love is the food they eat in God's new world. And we must acquire the taste for it here and now. Love is the music God has written for all his creatures to sing. And we are called to learn it and practice it now. So as be, to be ready when the conductor brings down his baton. It is the resurrection life. And the resurrected Jesus calls us to begin living it with him and for him right now. Love is our job. Well, in our passage, the Apostle Paul, whom God inspired to write this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul drives that message home in three ways. And by the way, there's so much in here, and it's so important that I want to come back to this chapter again in the new year after we get through the holidays. So we'll just be able to hit some highlights this morning. But here are Paul's three main points in this passage. First, in verses 1 to 3, it's that all of our other spiritual gifts and our service to God and to one another, it's all worthless without love. And then second, in verses 4 to 6, Paul describes what love is and what love does. Love isn't actually quite what we probably think it is, if you've been watching Disney. And then third... In verses 8 to 13, Paul reminds us, as we've already seen and as we remember at Advent, love is our destiny. It's our future. It's what it's all about. Love is the job. So first, all our other service to others, to our family, to our church, our ministry, our using our spiritual gifts, it's all worthless if we don't love others. Love is the job. Here's how Paul puts it. If I speak 
in the tongues of men or of angels. In other words, Paul's probably saying, if I speak in tongues, and speaking in tongues is something that we'll, we'll talk more about when we get to chapter 14. It's something the Corinthians were doing a lot. It, it's probably speaking to God um, in, in a language we don't know because God's Spirit has just moved us to do it. And it can be a wonderful experience. And the Corinthians were very happy and proud that they could do this, and they did it a lot. But if I do it, Paul says, and I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a noise. I'm an annoyance. Then verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What would you add? If I preach the best sermon and everyone is touched and inspired and impacted and they know God better and their lives, they live more faithfully as a result, but I don't have love, it's worthless. If you are the perfect parent, you make all the right decisions with your teenagers, or you never lose your temper at your toddler, and you always feed healthy, nutritious food to your little ones, but you don't have love, it's nothing. What would you add? Take a minute and fill it in for yourself. If I blank, but don't have love. It's worthless. I want to give you a second. Just think to yourself, how would you fill that in for yourself? If I blank, fill it in, but don't have love, it's worthless. All right, let's, let's think about this like a car. Imagine it's the best Christmas ever and somebody you love goes all out and buys you a brand new car. It's not a Tesla, not an electric guitar for a reason, I'll, uh, electric car for, uh, <laughs> you see where my brain is. Um, no, I'm not getting an electric guitar for Christmas. Um, it's not an electric car for a reason I'll, I'll mention in a moment. It's a gas-powered car, but it's got everything you want. It's an amazing car. It's got all the bells and whistles. It's the perfect color. It's got that new car smell. It's awesome. You're so excited. But if you have not gas, it's worth nothing, right? Imagine if there's no more gas. Imagine the world supply dries up on January 1st. How worthwhile is that car to you now? Right? That's what Paul is getting at about love. All of our service, all of our ministry, all of our spirituality, all of our effort, if we don't have love, 
it's like a car run out of gas. Because love is our job. Then second, Paul moves on to what love it does. And love is a verb. Love does stuff. In fact, our culture has made the word love mean so many things. So much so that it may not be a good word anymore for what Paul is talking about here. We, we say things like, I love Reese's peanut butter cups. And I do. And uh, I love the new toy that I'm going to get for Christmas. And I love pickleball or soccer or whatever. I love my new girlfriend or boyfriend. And what we usually mean is that that thing or that person makes us feel really good. I, I feel good, maybe really good. I, I love that person. I love that thing. I love that activity. Guess what? That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul's talking about an action, a set of actions, and a way of acting, a way of relating to other people. Love is a, is a way of acting that puts others before ourselves. Paul is talking about seeking the good of others. That's what God does for us. And that's what God wants to teach us to do as well. Because that's our destiny. So seeking the good of others, what does that look like? Well, Paul describes it. First, this, this love is patient with people. It, it bears with people. It puts up with people a long time. Doesn't God bear with us a long time? Love does the same for others. Also, love acts kindly. It acts with goodness. Doesn't God treat us that way? Didn't God treat us that way when he sent us a savior into this world and came himself to be that savior? God forgave our sins. God overlooked our shortcomings. And instead of giving us what we deserved, God acted kindly toward us. God gave us what was good. Love does that for others. And then Paul describes what love doesn't do. And here Paul picks on the Corinthians a little bit. He's writing to them first and foremost, right? And, and as we've seen, as we've been working through this letter, they are his problem children. Paul has had to call them out on a lot of things, on a lot of bad and inappropriate behavior. And here in verses 4 to 5, Paul goes over a lot of these things again that he's talked about so far in the letter. He, he reminds them, love does not envy. Remember, there, there was a lot of strife and rivalry going on in, in the Corinthian church. Love does not boast. It is not proud. Remember, they were all puffed up about all their wisdom and their knowledge and how they were better than others. Love does not dishonor others. Remember, they were shaming, embarrassing one another in the church service, no less, by the ways they were dressing, what they were putting or not putting on their heads, and how some of them were eating better food and not sharing it with others who were going hungry. Love is not self-seeking. It seeks to build up others, Paul told them, to, to help and encourage others, 
and do not rather than doing what's good for yourself. And then Paul moves on beyond the Corinthians to just add some other things. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight with evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Boy, there's so much here we would do well to, to go home and meditate on these this definition of love. Love, as, as Paul's talking about it here, is so much more than the way the world today uses the word love. Paul is talking about not looking out for yourself, but looking out for the best for others. That's what God does for us, right? That's the gospel. That's Jesus Christ, who came not for himself, but to help and benefit us. He came for our good. He came in love. You can go through verses 4 to 8, in fact, and put Jesus in there. In fact, let's do that. Just sit back and, and take this in and reflect on the good news of this. Starting in verse 4. Jesus is patient with us. Jesus is kind to us. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you want to be more like Jesus? In the end, as we remember during Advent, Jesus will be in charge of everything one day. And Jesus is wanting to lead us all into being that way and treating each other in that way. And in the end, that's how the world will work. You want to live in a world that works that way? <laughs> I do. And that's where Paul goes thirdly in verses 8 to 13. Love, he says, never ever fails. Prophecies, speaking in tongues, knowing things about God, it's all only temporary. What are spiritual gifts for? What, are, what is serving others for? They're, they're only vehicles to get us where we're going. Let's go back to our car analogy. Let's imagine that, that you're going on your dream vacation in mid-January. It was a good Christmas. Not only did you get a new car, but you got a dream vacation to somewhere warm and wonderful and beautiful. And you're driving in your car um, that you got for Christmas, and you're so excited to get there. But when you get there, you're still loving your car. And so you never actually get out of the car. You're just in your car taking in that, that new car smell. And you miss the whole vacation. You miss your destination. Because you got distracted 
by the vehicle that was only meant to get you there. That's the point that Paul's making about what we do for God and how we use our spiritual gifts and the ministries we have and the, and the things we do to serve. They're just vehicles. They're temporary means to get us to love. Love is our destiny. A world of love that is coming and that Jesus will bring. And our ministries and our service and our gifts, we're just supposed to use them to bring more of that future love into our experience now. We're supposed to use them to spread love and to spread Jesus who is love. And how do we do it? With love. Because love is the job. Not prophecy, not speaking in tongues, not having knowledge or even wisdom, not whatever other gift you have or I have or whatever other things we're so busy doing. No, love. It's about love. Those other things only matter to the extent that we're living a life of love. A life that benefits others, not ourselves. So in closing, between now and Christmas, who in your life do you need to seek to benefit and to seek what's good for them? Now, if you are already a caregiver, a, a parent caring for young children, or, or if there's an elder, elderly person in your life who, who relies on you for extra help, I don't want to add any more guilt or burden to you. Your life is already by necessity about seeking the best for other people. And, and so the question for you is, if that's you, why are you doing it? And are you doing it with love? Are you patient with that person or those people? Are you acting kindly toward them? Or are you easily angered? Do you keep a record of wrongs? Maybe if that's you, maybe you have some confessing to do. And when I need to confess my bad attitude, I say something like this. God, I have felt pretty impatient, pretty cranky. Or I've been holding a grudge, or I've been feeling resentful. And it's ugly what's there in my heart. And I know you think it's ugly too. And I know that that's why you came to die for me and to cleanse me of the ugliness. So please forgive me. I'm sorry that that's in my heart. And please give me a new heart and a new attitude so that I can love people better. So that I can love the people I need to love better. Well then, for the rest of us this week, how can you seek to benefit someone else? Who is it in your life this week that you need to seek to benefit? Who is it in your life this week that you need to seek the good of rather than your own good? Putting yourself aside, what can you do for someone else? And how can you be there for someone else? Who can you encourage? Who can you help? Who can you share with? Who can you be there for? Because remember, love is the job.
a step-by-step act of love by act of love, we build a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that will endure, that will never fail, and that will never pass away until the king of love, whom we look forward to, comes again and begins his reign of love for us and with us forever. Happy Advent. Let's pray.